Good afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> um, this afternoon, I'll be just sharing my testimony, my personal experience from prison. And before I begin, um, I want to read a quotation from the book Education, uh, page 57. It says, the greatest want of the world, can you fill it in, is the want of man, right? What does this world need the most? That's the question, right? Do we need more money? Do we need more food? Do we need more Jesus? Oh, absolutely, right? And in that context of needing more Jesus, how do we manifest more Jesus? We need a man that can show who Christ is. The greatest one, the one thing that this world is lacking, if there's one thing that's lacking, that's a man or woman that can reveal Jesus Christ in their lives, right? And that's you and I. And let me finish this quotation. It says, men who will not be bought or sold. That's the character of Jesus Christ, right? He was a man that will not be bought or sold with money or anything. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Those are the men or women the world is seeking for. And today as I share my testimony, I want to share a few principles that can help each one of us. How can we become such a man and woman that we will stand for the right thing no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances we are in, no matter who we hang out with, no matter where we go? How can we stand faithful to God's principle that God has given to us? How can I reveal Christ in my life? And that's a question. I want to share a few principles from my personal experience from prison, uh, how Jesus Christ helped me to stand faithful in the most discouraging circumstances. Before we begin, uh, if you don't mind, I want to ask one more time to bow with me uh, to offer a prayer and invite the Holy Presence, Holy Spirit to uh, be with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this uh, beautiful day you have given to us and this uh, Army Bible Camp that you have allowed us to have in this beautiful campus. And this freedom that we enjoy to come together and worship and learn more about the Bible and you uh, this week, I pray that you will help us to prepare our hearts for the things that you want to teach us this afternoon. And I pray that you will especially hide me behind your cross, that Jesus will be uplifted through this, uh, my personal testimony of your power and your love in my life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm from South Korea, um, and my name is Sung Hoon Kang. I'm a Bible teacher at Heartland College in Virginia. I just came here um, to help out with the media, uh, the video recording. But I'm very privileged to be able to have this time to share uh, this testimony. Uh, I want to share a little background why I had to go to prison. In Korea, South Korea, uh, as probably most of you know, uh, we face very difficult situation with North Korea. North Korea is 
a communist country, right? And South Korea is a republic, but uh, the war never officially ended. So uh, we are living in a situation where the North Korea can attack us any time, any given day. So South Korean government um, requires every man that's born in South Korea to go through military training for two years. Um, it's not optional or voluntary, it's mandatory. Every man that's able have to go through this training for two years uh, in the military. Um, I studied uh, pastoral evangelism and Christian media management uh, at Heartland College, that's a small missionary college in Virginia. And there was one question that I had in my mind constantly as I was going through that missionary training. When I finish my school here, I have to go back to my country. And the first thing I have to face is the military issue. What should I do as a Christian? Uh, is it okay for me to go through this training where basically I'll be learning for two years how to kill other people? And if necessary, during the war, I have to kill other people. Uh, is it okay for me uh, to go through that kind of training as a Christian? That was the question. Uh, it was, let me tell you, it was not an easy, easy decision. Uh, it took me many years to uh, study personally, pray, and finally I was convicted uh, in my heart that I should ask for the alternative service where I don't have to carry arms and uh, be trained to take other people's lives. And the issue is, it's not just the issue of training or not training. Uh, if you are going through this training, you are basically telling the government, I am willing to partake in this war, and I'm willing to shoot. And that's the whole purpose of training, right? You know, when the war happens, then you send out the troop, the trained uh, soldiers. So uh, I finished my study in Virginia. In year 2006, in November, I went back to my country. And some of you might be asking, why didn't you just stay and don't go back to your country? The thing is, when I got my visa to study in the States, I had to find two people that are willing to sign. The first one, uh, if I don't come back after my study, I will have to pay $50,000 to the government, and the second one will go to prison instead of me. So that was my uncle and my grandfather. <laughs> and I didn't want to see my grandfather you know, <laughs> being in prison, so I had to go back. Now, the very following day, I arrived in Korea in November, and the very next day with my dad, I went to the military office, and I explained to the officers, look, um, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and according to my religious conscience and my conviction, I cannot go through these two years of training where basically I'll be learning how to kill other people, and in the war, uh, I will not take other people's lives to save mine. Um, is there any way that I can uh, be placed in the military uh, where I don't have to bear arms. Uh, and the officers just looked at me and they said, uh, young man, uh, basically you have two options. You go to prison or you go through this training. So of course I didn't want to go to prison, so I explained, look, I'm not trying to avoid the duty to the nation. Uh, anything, if it's harder, longer, if it's three years, that's fine. I'm willing to do it. Uh, as long as it doesn't contradict with my religious conviction, I am willing to do I'm not trying to avoid the duty to the nation, so please can you help me? Is there any way that I can be a cook or medic or anything? Is there any other alternative service I can do? And they said, uh, under the current law, uh, there is no alternative 
that's allowed it. So once again, young man, you have to choose between prison and going through this training. Uh, I made a very short prayer in my heart, um, but I already knew uh, what I had to do as a Christian. Now, the first principle, first principle I want to share with you uh, this afternoon how can we be true to God no matter what circumstances we are in? No matter what we face, how can we stand firm and be faithful to God's principle? principle. Uh, that principle is found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. So if you have your Bible, let's read quickly that verse that's found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Principle number one, how can we be faithful to God? Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's read that together. One, two, three. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Right? You know the story of Daniel. The Bible says Daniel had to do something very special. He said, the Bible says he purposed in his heart to be faithful to God. I think that's very important. Principle number one is we have to commit ahead of the time before we face the trial. Every morning, right, as we wake up on our knees, we have to make up that choice. Am I going to follow Jesus Christ and be faithful to God? Not through my strength, but through the power of Jesus Christ. Commit ahead of the time. You know, some people say, you know, I'll wait until, you know, I face the trial or temptation, right? Uh, that's a wrong move because uh, from my personal experience, when you wait until you face certain trials and difficult situations, your mind are so beclouded with fear and you know, what's going to happen to you and everything, you may not make the right decision. You have to commit ahead of the time, every day, every morning, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me today, but whatever you bring to me, help me to be faithful to you and commit ahead of the time. Now, that theory, that circumstances or you know, the environment should alter my decision. That's a wrong principle. The Christians does not allow the circumstances to alter our decisions, right? Uh, and have you seen a compass? Um, well, I have iPhone here, and iPhone comes with handy compass, right? <laughs> and something about compass is, as you can see, um, no matter where you take this, it'll always point to the same direction, isn't it? Uh, whether you take this compass to Africa, Korea, right, South, you know, America, it'll always point to the same direction. You put the compass and bury it in the ground, it'll point to the same direction. You freeze it in the freezer. As it freezes down, it'll point to the same direction, right? You burn it up, and as it burns down, it'll always point to the same direction. I think that's how we should be as Christians. You know, the circumstances should not alter or affect our decisions. The principles that God has, to, God has given us, just because you hang out with different people, different friends, should it alter our decisions? No. No matter who you are with, no matter where we are, we should always point to the same direction that God has given us. In order for us to do that, we have to commit ahead of the time. So going back to my story, um, long before I faced that trial, as I was praying about this issue, I already made up my mind. 
if they, some reason, if they do not allow me alternative service, I'd rather go to prison than go against God's conviction that God has placed in my heart. So I already knew the answer. So I looked at the officers and I said, if that's the only case, as a Christian, I want you to know that I have to choose prison than uh, going against God's principles. And they said, young man, you are making a big mistake. You know, the record will stay rest of your life. You'll be a criminal and all that. Um, but I told them, uh, I already made up my mind. And uh, I'd rather go to prison. After a few months, I had to go to the court. Um, and after a short trial, I was sentenced for one and a half years in prison. Uh, and I remember that day uh, when I first felt handcuffs uh, in my hands. It was kind of heavy and cold. And they took me to the room right next to the court, and I saw other, like, about 20 other prisoners there. And um, they bound me with a rope with other prisoners so no one can escape. And the guard started to take us through this underground tunnel, which was very dark and very damp. And I remember just walking through that dark tunnel. Um, the guard was so mean. All of a sudden, after I was you know, done with the trial, uh, the attitude completely changed. The guard was just shouting at us and you know, just cursing at us and just pushing us against the wall and treating us so badly. And on my entire, entire life, I have not been treated that way. I've been always sheltered and protected with nice Adventist people. So... Uh, as I was experiencing that, I started to realize, you know what, I'm no longer a citizen of <laughs> South Korea, but I'm a prisoner. Uh, I'm a slave for the next one and a half years. And humanly speaking, to be honest with you, um, I got scared. The fear started to creep in my heart, and I could not see what's behind the tunnel. And I've never experienced prison. I have a lot of different stories, and I've done a lot of mission trips and visited a lot of different prisons, but I've never actually gone and lived in prison before, so uh, there was a fear that's creeping in. What's waiting me? What will it be like? You know, all kinds of questions. Um, what do you do when you are afraid? You pray, right? I start to pray, and I start to memorize a lot of and recite a lot of the Bible promises. And as I was reciting different Bible promises and praying in my heart, you know, especially particularly that verse came to my mind in Isaiah chapter 43, where the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord that created, created thee, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou pass through the water, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. As I recite different promises, uh, all of a sudden the fear started to go away. And there was a perfect peace in my heart. Uh, to the point uh, where I got a little bit excited. And I could not wait to see what God has in store for me. Um, and with that joy in my heart and a little bit of excitement, I arrived in prison. 
and of course, you know, they strip you off and they give you a prison uniform, which was really big for me. So I had to constantly hold on to my pants, otherwise I would fall off. The shoes was really small, so I couldn't really fit in the shoes. But anyways, I had to hold that uh, number, you know, on the other hand, holding my pants, take that picture. And after uh, like an hour of you know, orientation, uh, the guard came and then took me to the building that I was supposed to stay. And I remember the first time I walking through that building. You know, out of all prisons in Korea, I was placed in one of the oldest and the worst prisons. Uh, this prison was actually built by Japanese during World War II, and the condition was, I mean, worse than my worst imagination. Uh, on the, as I was walking through that building, on the both, uh, both sides there were all different cells with iron bars, and you see all these hands sticking out, and there was a distinct odor and that almost made me throw up. And I could hear people shouting, fighting, you know, cursing, and you know, looking at me, and you know, calling all different kind of things. It was kind of dark, you know, damp. And I arrived to the cell where I was supposed to stay, and the guard opened up the thick iron door. And as soon as I saw inside the cell that I was supposed to stay, um, I felt immediately like every single cell and nerve of my body was just refusing to go in. There was no way I can stay in that cell for one and a half years. Uh, there were no beds or no bedding, no mattresses or nothing. It was just floor. People just laying on the floor. It was so small. You could barely uh, lay down uh, and fit all seven of us in that small room. And I just stood there, and the guard pushed me in, and I heard the door lock behind me. That was the beginning of my experience in prison. The day that I arrived in that cell, uh, it happened that all those inmates that were in my cell, uh, for some way or another, had bitter experience against Christians. So when he found out, when they found out that I was a Christian, and the reason why I came in, and they started to give me a hard time. And everything I do, they start to mock me, curse me, and you know, give me a hard time just to give you some a uh, few examples. You know, uh, as soon as I introduced myself, you know, somebody came up and he said, you know, okay, sweep the floor for us. So I'm trying my best, trying to <laughs> sweep the floor. And if there is like one drop of hair, they'll just curse at me and, you know, curse God and, you know, mock at me and all that, right? And then they'll tell me to sit on the corner. So I quietly go and sit down on the corner. And then next thing, another email will come and then, you know, almost hit me and curse at me, telling me to, you know, get off of that place because that's his spot and I cannot sit there. So I'm standing in the middle of the room, not knowing what to do. <laughs> and another inmate came and then tell, told me to take up the uniform and then hang on the wall. So I took up my uniform and hanged on the wall. And another inmate comes and then you know, throws my uniform on the ground and telling me that you know, I cannot do that and all kinds of things. Um, one time, I remember, I was trying to clean up the corner of the room. And once again, I hear my name, somebody cursing me. So I looked around, what did I do wrong this time? And the inmate was saying, you know, your shadow is over my face. And it's annoying me. So it gives you an idea uh, how ridiculous they were. Um, 
That night, it was Friday, the sun was setting and it was Sabbath was drawing nine. And there was TV on and, you know, loud and everything. I was trying to get some sleep, so I just laid on the floor. I realized, you know, the lights are on 24 hours in prison because you, you know, some people kill each other or kill themselves. So uh, they always leave the lights on. So I'm a person that I cannot go to bed <laughs> with any lights or any noises. So I didn't know what to do. And, of course, there was no nothing. And on the corner, there were some like very old rag, um, old blanket that's worn down. I don't know how long it's been there. Uh, they said, you know, we can use that. So I just took that and pulled over my face. It was very smelly and everything dirty, uh, trying to get some sleep. And as I was laying on that room, um, you know, I thought about Jesus Christ and what must it been like for him to leave that richness and glory and comfort of heaven, right? He was the king of the universe. Thousands of thousands of angels worshiping him to come to this dirty, dark, sinful world and die on the cross just because of me and my sin. When I thought about that, you know, the tears start to flow down my eyes and, you know, I felt the love of God even deeper than before. And under that blanket, I actually thanked God. God, thank you so much for allowing me to go through this. This is a privilege. And because I'm going to go through this kind of experience once in my life, help me to somehow, some way, share your love to those around me. And please use me as your vehicle. And I went to bed that night, hoping that next morning things would get a little better, but I was wrong. It got worse and worse, and I remember one, one day I was just sitting next to one inmate, just, you know, reading something, and the inmate right next to me got, uh, he got into fight with other inmates, and he got really mad, and he didn't know what to do. Uh, and then he looked at me, and I was sitting right next to him, so he decided to punch my face. <laughs> so right there, he, you know, raised his hand, and he was just about to give his blow on my face. And God intervened, and I remember the guard calling my name, so he stopped. And the guard told me that my parents are here to visit, and my brother. So I followed the guard and going out, and I remember telling myself, I, I cannot cry in front of them because it's already hard for my parents, but I almost felt like I'm going to just break down and cry. So I was praying, Lord, I asked one thing, help me not to cry in front of them because I don't want to make their life harder. It's already harder for them that I'm here. So, but as soon as I entered to the interview room, of course, over the glass, I saw my parents and my brother uh, greeting me. As soon as I saw their face, I just broke down. I only had five minutes. They had uh, driven like, two hours to come visit me. I had five minutes, entire five minutes, I couldn't even say a word. Not even a single word. They were saying, what's wrong? <laughs> what's wrong? I just shook my head. I just cried and cried and cried. You know why? Because there is somebody that cared about me. There is somebody that knows me and loves me. And just seeing somebody that cares about me, that just completely broke my heart. Yeah. And I started to realize, you know, 
you know, the preciousness of friends and families. You know, sometimes we, it's easy for us to take it for granted, right? We fight and all that. But anyways, um, why am I sharing this? Because second principle, how can we truth to God no matter what circumstances we're in? I think it's a very important principle. We have to realize that suffering is prize for committing to Christ. Suffering and pain is prize for committing to Jesus Christ. I want you to turn your Bible to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. The Bible says, let's read together. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? How many? All. It doesn't say, you know, some of you will suffer, you know, suffer persecution, um, you know, most of you. But the Bible says all of you, every single one of us, if we are faithful to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, I guarantee you, you'll know what it means to be suffered. You will know what it means to be going through pain. You know, suffering and pain is a lot of Christianity. You cannot escape from suffering and pain and become a Christian. You know, we are living in an age where so many people are becoming Christians for wrong motivation. But the Bible is very clear. The road that we are taking is not an easy road. There will be suffering. There will be pains. And there will be trials. Now, why does God allow us sufferings in our Christian experience? Um, suffering serves a definite purpose in the plan of God. You know, one of the things suffering does is it truly tests our faith and our motivation of following Jesus Christ. You know, when everything is going well, right? You, you know, your GPA is good, and you're, you have got a good job, and you have a nice car at home, you know, you got beautiful family, and you have nice friends, and everything is going well. And you praise God, and, you know, praise the Lord. I love to become Christian. I love to, uh, I'm, I love being a Christian, and you praise God and sing, and you do a lot of good things, right? What happens when all of a sudden you wake up and you receive a call? that your brother has passed away, car accident, or your parents, right? Or you go to regular checkup in the doctor's office and then all of a sudden you are sentenced with cancer. When the suffering and trial and pain comes, that's the moment where the true test of faith comes in. You know, everybody can praise God and, you know, love pretend to love God when everything's going well. But the true question is, when everything is going wrong, are you still willing to follow God and love Him the same? And that's a question, isn't it? Um, I don't have time to go through all this, but, uh, you know, in Desire of Ages, page 224, it says, of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon man, Fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. What is the highest honor? 
fellowshipping, suffering of Christ. You know, you got one chance in this life. You got one chance to be faithful to God. You know, if you really think about it, even the angels don't have the opportunity you and I have. While majority of people are going against God and we are tainted with sin in this kind of world to stand up for God through suffering and be faithful to God, you got one chance in your life. Even the angels don't have that kind of opportunity and privilege to stand up for God when the majority is going against God. But we do have, right? Especially the young people. In front of you, you have a choice. God doesn't force you anything, but you can choose in this one chance you have to be faithful to God in every circumstances. And throughout eternity, guess what? You will never have a second chance in this kind of sinful environment with the sinful people around us to be faithful to God. And I think it is a great privilege to partake in the suffering for Jesus Christ. Now, going back to the story, um, you know, after a few days, things start to change. Uh, you know, those people who are so bitter against Christianity and you know, giving me a hard time, one by one, they start to ask me a lot of different questions. They say, you know, um, tell me more about your God, about the Bible. And in fact, the boss in our room, every room has a boss, the boss in our room asked me, someone one day, I said, can you uh, read to us your favorite chapter from the Bible? So I said, this would be a great opportunity. So I prayed and I opened up to Psalm 91. I started to read Psalm 91. Uh, and then after I finished the chapter, the boss said, I don't like that. Can you, another, another, can you read us another one? So I, you know, went to another chapter and I read. He said, oh, that's a little better. Maybe you can try another one. So I read another chapter and then he really liked it. And then he said, you know, every morning, why don't you read us one chapter a day? I said, oh, I would love to do that, yeah. And to cut the story short, you know, one by one, they start to ask me all kinds of questions. Uh, one inmate came to me and said, if God really exists, why would he allow me to come this far? I just killed my friend and I'm convicted as a murderer. Uh, if God really exists, why would he abandon me like this? And you know, all kinds of questions they start to ask. Um, one day, a boss, the boss came to me, and he asked me, I said, you are a Christian. What denomination are you? And I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. As soon as I said I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, his countenance just changed. He didn't say anything, and he went back to his corner. He started to write something. And then after an hour, he came back to me. He didn't say a word. He just threw that letter to me. And they said, read it. So I opened up the letter, and as I was reading, the tears start to come to my eyes. This is what he was saying. He said, you know, a long time ago, 25 years ago, I was in the military going through my training. That's what the boss was saying. And he was a really young, young man, 20s. And he said he remembered that 25 years ago when he was going through that training, there was another young man in the army almost being beaten to death because he didn't want to... Uh, work on Saturday. 
And it happened to be that was a Seventh-day Adventist young man. And then he said in that letter, that young man came up to me and witnessed to me, and then I refused to listen to anything that he was saying. And then that letter he said, you know, after 25 years of, you know, just living my life in my pleasure, I ended up in prison. And one day, he says, that thick iron door opens and another young man walks into my cell. And he said, as soon as you walked in, I said in my heart, that must be a Christian young man. And then he said, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a Seventh-day Adventist. And when he actually found out that I was a Seventh-day Adventist, he was dumbfounded. And then this is what he said in his letter, maybe God is giving me a second chance. Maybe he's giving me another chance in this prison. You know, uh, there's so many different stories, but I have to move on for time's sake. After a couple of weeks, I was placed in a uh, workstation. In prison, you know, they place you into different workstations, and you have to work 12 hours a day. Uh, of course, you get paid really low. I was getting paid around $10 a month. Uh, so basically, it's uh, free labor. But I was placed as a work, uh, as a caretaker in a building. So I knew immediately that I had to face a Sabbath issue. So the very same day I was assigned as caretaker, uh, I went up to the uh, you know, person that was in charge of the whole uh, caretakers in that building. That was another inmate. And I asked him, uh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, um, and I know as a caretaker you have to do like regular cleaning up the building and all that on Saturday. Um, and as a Seventh-day Adventist, I want you to know I cannot do regular work on the Sabbath. And then this inmate, uh, which was in charge of our building, he looked at me and said, what's your name? I said, I'm Sung Hoon. He said, Sung Hoon, uh, I think you are seriously mistaken. So I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't realize where you are, right? He said, this is prison. You're not on vacation or, you know, you're not on, you know, you're not in your house or anything. You don't pick and choose what you want to do or not do. You are in prison. You are a prisoner. That means you are a slave. You are simply to do whatever you are told to do, period. I don't want to hear of this Sabbath nonsense any longer. So go back and do your work. So I told him, look, um, I do understand that I'm a prisoner, and I do understand I'm in prison, and this is a very special environment. But uh, that doesn't mean that I, all of a sudden I can now break God's commandments. So as a Christian, I cannot uh, work on Saturday. And I remember him being furious and angry. And he says, you know, I don't want to hear of this, and I want you to know that you have no choice work on Saturday. Now, the next principle I want to share with you quickly uh, is found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. I'm sure you know this by heart, so I'm just going to read. Uh, it says, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and it seemed, if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, right? Where the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the floor, uh, but as for me and my house, we will 
serve the Lord. The next principle I want to share with you is you have to always remember that no matter what circumstance you are in, you do have a choice. You are a moral agent bestowed with the freedom of choice. No matter where you are, no matter who you are with, you always have a choice. I always hear people saying, you know, I had no choice but to do this, you know, you know, the devil made me to do this, and all the kind of things, right? But many times when I hear this, the reason why people say that is because they are not willing to pay the price. And because of that, they say, I have no choice but do this, right? I have no choice. Uh, my you know, boyfriend you know, told me he's going to break up if I don't sleep with him, so I have no choice. Well, you had a choice. But with the choice, there comes a price. That price is breaking up with boyfriend. Some people say, you know, if I work on Sabbath and if I don't work on Sabbath day, then who's going to feed my family? Especially with this kind of economy, right? If I quit my job because of the Sabbath, then who's going to take care of my family and my children? So I have no choice but work on the Sabbath day. Well, you do have a choice, but with that choice comes a price. Now, going back to my story, when I was told that I had no choice, I had to tell the person, uh, the head caretaker, in a gentle way but firm way, I had to tell him, look, even though I'm a prisoner, even though I'm in a special circumstance like prison, I want you to know I do have a choice. And no matter what happened to me, I'm not going to work on the Saturday and violate God's principles. And of course, you can imagine he was just furious. And he said, I'm going to go to the officers right now and going to report you. And this is what's going to happen. If I report you to the guards, uh, you'll, be, you'll receive the punishment and you'll be sent into the isolate cell and you'll be locked up in the isolate cell and you'll lose all your privileges that you have. When I heard that, what, what, what privileges do I have? <laughs> right? What are you talking about? And he said, privileges like you know, being able to write your friends, your parents, being able to come and visit you, uh, being able to you know, purchase certain things in um, prison. Um, everything will be taken away. And more than anything, he said, you'll lose the opportunity to get out three months earlier from this prison. When I heard that, <laughs> I had to ask him, what did you just say? You said, I can get out three months earlier from this prison? And he said, absolutely. If you are uh, on a good behavior, uh, you can get out three months earlier with your sentence. So when I heard that, everything that I have gone through so far came to my mind, you know. Uh, all those inmates and hard times, and especially in the cell, um, you have a little toilet, right? It's not really a toilet. You open the door, and you get into the toilet, and you shut the door, and you can barely sit down. Of course, there's no sitting toilet or anything. There's a hole underneath. So you sit down, and you can touch the back. That's where you take care of the business, right? And to take shower, that's where you take shower. And there's a faucet there, so with all the smell that comes in, so you open up the faucet, no hot water or anything, right? So in the winter, when I take shower, right, I dump, I have to embrace, most of the inmates do not take shower in winter, but I'm a person, I cannot go to bed unless I take a shower. So I go in, and I have to embrace myself for like five minutes. Okay, someone, you can do this, you can do this. So you... Open the faucet, and there's icy cold water. And you put it in the bucket, right? And you are 
barely touching all the walls. And then you pour it in over your head and then immediately you have to rub your body because the whole body just shakes because it's so cold. And you know, that steam comes out of your body and everything, right? And you know, the food, I mean, I'm a vegan and there was hardly nothing to eat except the rice and seaweed, right? And even kimchi and everything has seafood in it. And there's hardly I can eat and all different things that came to my mind. Like to live here for another three months. If I can get out three months, if I could get out like one day earlier, I could do anything. But we are talking about what? Almost 100 days, right? 90 days. I said, man, maybe, you know, you know what? I've done enough, probably. God will understand. By the way, there's no other Adventists, you know, nobody will know, right? And after all, this is a special society, right? I mean, if I don't work on Saturday, then who's going to work on Saturday then, right? All kinds of things start to come to my mind. And another thing was, a huge thing, um, I was in love with a lady, <laughs> and I was riding her, right? Uh, every week I was riding her. And if I get punished right now and go to isolate selling, all of a sudden I stop riding her. What is she going to think and what's going to happen to me? And all that kind of question. And my parents, it's already hard for them to uh, be able to come only like four times a month and visit me. And if they cannot come and visit me, that would be even worse for them. All kinds of things still to come. And I was confused. I didn't know what to do. And I had to pray for God's wisdom. The next principle I want to share with you, how can we be true to God no matter what happens? Uh, we have to recognize that fear is the reason why we so often compromise. It's the fear why we so often compromise and give in to Satan. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to eat this, but you know, I'd have to do this because you know I'm afraid I'm gonna offend this person. Well, you're afraid of men, right? Or what the consequences may be. Uh, I cannot quit my job on Sabbath because who's gonna my feed my family. You are afraid of the consequences. The reason why so many times we compromise and, you know, deviate from God's principle is because we are scared of the consequences and what's going to happen to us. And I want to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 6. You know, Proverbs chapter 28, yeah. Proverbs chapter 28. The very first verse. Let's read that from the Bible. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursue it. But the righteous are what? Bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. You know, as a Christian, this is one thing I've learned. In that experience, we should never, ever weigh the consequences in following God's principles. I'm going to repeat that. As Christians, we should never think of the consequences in following God's principles. Let me read you a quotation that's found in Sanctified Life. True Christian principle will not stop to weigh consequences. It does not ask what will people think of me if I do this. Or how will it affect my worldly prospects if I do that? 
with the most intense longing, the children of God desire to know what God would have them do, that their works may glorify Him. The Christian do not stop to weigh the consequences in following God's will. Uh, that's the common mistake that we make. We always think upon the consequences, what's going to happen to me? And because we are scared of those consequences, we compromise. Going back to my story, as I was praying, God placed that lesson in my heart. So I made a quick prayer, and I faced the head caretaker once again, and I refused to think on all the things that could happen to me. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to leave that in God's hand. So the thing is, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. My problem is simply to find out what God's will is and simply carrying out, no matter where I am. And then leaving the rest in God's hand. It's his job to figure out what to do with the consequences. And so many times we try to figure out the consequences. And in so doing, we compromise. So I told the head caretaker, look, no matter what happens, even that's what's going to happen to me. I want you to know that I'm not going to work on this all day. And of course, he was angry, furious. He said, man, you are so disrespectful. I'm trying to help you here, you know. So I'm going to go right now and report you. So pack your stuff, and you'll be sent to the isolate cell. So he went and talked to the officer, and he came back. He said, are you packed? I said, I'm packed and ready. And he looked at me, and he said, you don't have to go. I said, what do you mean I don't have to go? He said, well, I'm a head caretaker. I get Saturdays off. So I can give my Saturdays off to you, and I'll work instead of you. When I heard that, I knew it was a miracle, simple miracle, because you know, there was no reason for that person to offer that. He didn't even know me. And he was furious that I was disobeying him, and yet, in that short period of time as he was going to the officers, God somehow changed his heart. And I was, of course, so thankful to him. And I learned the lesson. When you stand up for God, when you honor God, he will honor you. And I remember I worked so hard day and night during the weekdays, right? Even the Sundays, I would, if I have to mop the floor, right, I would just lay on the floor and just mop it. And, you know, even, you know, there's nothing to do. I'll find things to do and clean and do my duty because, first of all, I was thanked to God, and then I was also thankful to this head caretaker. I worked so hard day and night. And all of a sudden, we became really good friends. And he said, you know, I've never seen prison working so hard like you. And all of a sudden, our building became one of the cleanest buildings in the entire prison. And the, in turn, the officers were so happy to this head caretaker who was taking really good care of this building, and in return, head caretaker was really happy about me. And then he came to me and said, you know what, every two months in prison, they switch everybody around because they don't want us to stay too long with one another. So all the prisoners get switched around to different workstations every two months. But I really like you, and most likely, if you go to other workstation, they'll not allow you to work, no, keep the Sabbath day. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to go off to the officers. I'm going to ask a permission from them. So wherever I go, I can take you. So I said, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so he went back. He went to the officer once again. Somehow got worked out, and he got the permission. So when we all switched around, we stick together, and I was able to keep the Sabbath. Now, after two weeks, we arrived at this new workstation together. After two weeks, the officer came to me, and he said, you know, Sung-hoon Kang? I said, yes. And he said, you are moving to... 
barber shop, you are going to become a barber. So I said, no, there must be a mistake and everything, but he said, no, that's the order you are going to be a barber. So I told her, I've never cut anyone's hair before. You know, I have no experience. I'm happy here. I can keep my Sabbath and everything. No, the order is you are going to barber. Now, I knew there got to be a reason why God was placing me into other workstation when all the Sabbath issues have been resolved. Um, I knew there has to be a reason, and so I had to simply follow God's leading. So when I arrived at the barbershop, I explained that I don't know why they put me here, but I have no experience. All the rest of them, somehow they had some experience. And there was a professional barber there and everything, but I had absolutely no experience. They said, well, we are going out right now, so and just pack your stuff and follow us. And I told them, I have no experience. I've never cut anyone's hair before. And they said, you'll learn. So I just followed them. 1,500 prisoners in that prison. We were only five of us, barbers. And we had to cut, like, all morning, we go to different building and cut hair, right? The, my first customer that comes to me happens to be a big gang, gangster with tattoos and everything. And he sits right in front of me. So I explained to him, like, this is my first time cutting hair. I've never cut before. And you'll do fine. You know, I want this style in the front, top. I want that style on the back. I want that style. I, said, I have no clue what you're talking about, but I'll do my best. Uh, after I finished, he looked at the mirror and he, saw, he just burst into laughter and he said, you know what, just shave it. So I just shaved it. And you can imagine, you know, most of the people that came to me that day, you know, shaved their heads. So as I was shaving one inmate after another, I was thinking like, why am I here? What, what am I doing here? <laughs> shaving all these people's uh, heads. There got to be a reason, right? And that evening, you know, of course, all the workers uh, lived together, so I had to move my room to uh, and move into this barber's room. There were five of us. I started to find out in the evening that three of us were murderers, and the other young man, which was younger than me, uh, committed robbery for uh, nine times in a row and ended up in prison. And I knew that God sent me here for a reason. To cut the story short, uh, because we're running out of time, um, you know, as I was constantly seeking for a way to especially reach to this young man. Uh, if he needs any food, I will give him my food. If he needs any clothing, I will give him my clothing. And I will ask my parents to give some money to his account, too, and all kinds of things. And eventually, he will start to open up his heart, and he asked the question, you know, how can I be saved? And he said, you know, I feel like I've come too far. Uh, I told uh, the devil that he can have my soul if he can make me rich. And I feel like I've come too far. And I had to tell him, look, it's a sinner that needs a savior. Uh, it's the sick people that needs a doctor, right? Healthy people don't need it. It's not the righteous people that just came to save. It's the sin sinners like you and I that just came to save. To cut the story short, he decided to, after learning a lot of different things about God, he decided to get baptized. And um, in that prison, I'll never forget, um, yes, Oh, I don't want to keep everyone first of all. Yeah. But I'll just finish up very quickly. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the night because after a few months, they moved me to another workstation to become a nurse. Uh, but that night when I was moving away from that barber shop, uh, I'll never forget when I was packing my stuff, that young man on the, across the room was just staring at me. 
he didn't say any words. He was just looking at me the whole time. And I was just packing. When I finished packing, he came to me quietly and he said, Sung-hoon. And he held my hand. He couldn't say any word. He started to just cry and cry and cry. And then finally, when he calmed down, he said, I know you have gone through a lot in this prison, probably the worst time of your life, but I want you to know just one thing before you leave us, that all you have gone through is not in vain. He said, if it were just for me, one person, I feel like God has sent you just for me, just to save me. All you have gone through, all your difficulties, it was for me. And they said, you know what? From now on, I want to live a life that, uh, that is not ashamed before God. And I want to follow God all the way. And I'll never forget that day. Um, um, there's so many stories. Um, as I said, after that, I became a nurse. And when I became a nurse, once again, I had to face the Sabbath issue. Uh, by the way, when I was a barber, I started to find out in the weekends we don't work, so... Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to face the Sabbath issue, but when I become a nurse right now, once again, I had to face the Sabbath issue. I had no problem in taking care of sick people or, you know, emergency situation on Sabbath day to relieve the pain of others. I had no, that's a complete harmony with the Sabbath spirit. But when it comes to the regular office work, I knew I couldn't do. And I was told that on Saturday particularly, they don't, they especially do all the office work on Saturday. So I had to once again face the Sabbath issue. Now this time it was not the inmates. I had to face officers themselves. We were working in a department where there were five prison nurses, and we had to work with like 10 different officers. So I remember facing the officers. This officer particularly was in the military for like 30 years, and he was been in that department for 25 years. So he was kind of acting as the head of the entire department, and he was so a scary person. I remember him asking me the first day, are you willing to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever we need you? So I had to tell him, look, uh, I'm willing to do this uh, as long as I don't do the office work on Saturday. And as soon as I said that, he, he said, what did you just say? And the entire office became silent because no one dares to go against this officer. And he looked at me, what did you just say? I said, I cannot work on Saturday if it's a regular office work, sir. And then he said, are you out of your mind? And then he actually called the guard, guards, come here. He said, I'm, let me ask you one more time. Are you willing to work on Saturday? And I had to pray. I was kind of scared, but I had to pray. But by that time, I had learned over and over again, I had learned, whenever you honor God, God honors you. So it's, my, it's not my job to think about the consequences, right? So I simply made a prayer and told him, I cannot work on the Saturday, no matter what the consequences may be. All of a sudden, I was expecting a loud, you know, roar and, you know, you know, cursing me or anything, but the officer changed his attitude. He said, he changed his tactic. He said, you know what? I admire you. I said, uh, what do you mean? He said, I admire your courage and what you stand for. You know, we need more young people like you, you know, who is able to stand up for what they believe is the right thing. You know, so many people are like noodles, you know, they just wish-wash doing, you know, whatever other people tell them to do. You know, I admire you. But think in this way, is it wrong to help others on Saturday? I said, no. 
Is it wrong to do good things for others on Saturday? No. Well, then consider this way. If you come and work, do the office work on Saturday, you are uh, relieving us from us doing the work, so you are actually doing us a service. <laughs> so you're not getting paid anyway, so <laughs> uh, it's in harmony with your Sabbath spirit. And then he went on and went on and on, so I had to stop him because it's so easy for us to uh, rationalize, right? And come up with a good reason for doing the wrong thing. So I had to stop him. I said, Sir, I want you to know the reason why I'm standing right in front of you right now is because God's principles cannot be compromised. If I were to compromise God's principles right now, all I have gone through had no meaning. In fact, I don't even have to be standing right here if God's principle can be compromised. The reason why I'm here in this prison is because I cannot compromise. So I want you to know that I will not work on the Saturday. You know, once again, God stepped in and worked the miracle. He just looked at me. He said, you know what? Just work out things with the other prisoners. So when I went to the other prisoners, I found out they were all Jehovah's Witnesses. Came in with the exact same reason, conscientious objectors. And when I was explaining, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, and I don't work, you know, office, I don't do office work on Saturday. Before even I finish my sentence, they stop me. They say, if there's anyone that can understand you, it's us. We'll do all your work on Saturday. You keep your Sabbath. Uh, in return, can you work one hour by yourself on, Saturday, uh, on Sunday when we have our own worship? I said, perfectly, we have a deal. So that's how God solved the Sabbath issue. Uh, anyways, there was another reason why God placed me there other than witnessing to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I became a head nurse very quickly. And as a head nurse, you can go any building in prison. I had that band, and I can actually open up my own cell and walk out of my cell and walk through the buildings uh, if I have that. And I got to meet so many different inmates. And let me share one story before I end. One day I met this inmate. He called me. He said, I was giving an insulin shot to uh, this inmate who had the diabetes. And he said, you know, what's your name? I'm Sung And he said, you look so young. Why did you come in? I explained. And he said, you know what? I want, to find out, I want to find out more about your God. Do you have any literature or any books? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you some book tomorrow. So next morning, I brought these are pages. Here is a book that you can really know about my God. And then the following morning, I came back. And then I saw him in the table writing something. So when I looked at him, he, when he saw me, with big smile on his face, he came to me with his notebook and the book that I gave him. He said, Sung-hoon, this book that you gave me, it's I've never read this kind of book in my entire life. And he said, you know what? I'm writing every single word down, so I will never forget these words. So I told him, you can keep the book. He said, are you serious? Yeah, you can keep the book. In fact, if you finish, I'll give you another one. So <laughs> I said, thank you. Um, so that's how our friendship began. One day he wrote me a letter. In prison, you know, you cannot talk too long because other people get annoyed. So we communicate with writing. So he wrote me a letter. He said, read when you go back to your cell. So when I went back to my cell, I was reading. In that letter, this is what he said. You know what, sung uh, All my life, I have living for my pleasure. And he said, if somehow I can turn my clock and go back to my youth 
if that's a possibility, I will not live the life that I lived. I will choose the life that you are going right now. But I realize I only have a few years left and I'm locked up in this prison. And this is why it says, before a few years I have left in this prison, I want, you to, I want to follow uh, the path that you are going and serve your God. And, you know, there are so many different stories, but, you know, one thing, if there's one thing I have learned through that experience is that when you stand up for God and refuse to take on the consequences, God will honor you. At times, you will go through sufferings. You'll go through pains. You'll go through losses and many different experiences. But at the end, when you look back, you will see that through all those experiences that God has truly blessed you, that you will not choose any other way. And I pray that each one of us make that choice and commitment. And every day that we make that commitment to Christ and be faithful to him, no matter what happens to us. Let us close with the word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for, once again, this freedom where we can come and worship you freely. I pray that you will forgive us of our compromises and our sins and our weaknesses. But help us and strengthen us our will and help us to exercise uh, the will that you have given to us. And help us to follow you all the way in this one chance that we have in this life. And bless us and guide us in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.